Hey fellow nerds, I'm Megan Smiley and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've gotten into practice, looked around and thought, so this is my life? I get it. You're in deep and you feel stuck. You may have no idea what the next step would be, or maybe you have an idea, but think it's unrealistic. I truly believe that there's a path forward for each of us if we're intentional about finding it. And this podcast will be a great source of advice and inspiration for you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. Hey guys. So today my guest is Rachel Cole. She is a lawyer turned life coach. Um, Rachel walks us through her experience in practice, which unlike many of my guests and myself was largely positive. Um, She wasn't running away from the practice of law, but in her personal life, um, it led her to going to her own life coach and that sort of set in motion a pivot in her career that, you know, she wouldn't have predicted, but she followed the breadcrumbs of her life, as she said, and, um, started her own coaching business, um, on the side. And, you know, she tells us how it, it, did require pushing through a certain amount of discomfort and judgment from other people about, you know, how can you be a coach? You'll never be able to go back to being a lawyer. This doesn't make sense. But um, pushing through that paid off because now she is running a successful full-time practice. Um, One of the messages I really um, appreciated from, from Rachel was this idea that, You need to lean into your callings, even if you're a little unsure of where they're going to lead. But if you have that kind of gut draw towards something, trust it and trust that it's worth pursuing. Um, And another thing she mentions that I think is worth highlighting is that you don't have to justify getting help if you're struggling with something, even if it's not what you perceive to be sort of a diagnosable problem or some big, huge thing that you, quote unquote, should get support for, Um, you know. Everyone can benefit from from support in in different ways. Um, in my recent group program, one of the biggest sort of feedback I got was was how affirming it was to be around people where you felt comfortable admitting your dissatisfaction in your job and sort of really laying out vulnerably what your real goals and dreams are. Um, so. Just a reminder not to be shy, to get support um, in whatever form makes sense for you. So on to the episode, guys. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good to be here. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It's so great to have you. Um, so I ask everyone from the start, what took you to law school? What took me to law school? I grew up uh, the child of two lawyers and the grandchild of even more lawyers. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Well, only one lawyer parent, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of in my blood. And what's so funny is that, um, you know, like probably, I don't know, 80% of lawyers, that's a rough estimate. I majored in political science in college Mm -hmm. and um, minored in Spanish and theater. So like litigation made perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I um, told my parents like, yeah, the plan's law school. And both of them were like, are you sure? (laughs) This is exactly my experience with my dad. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact that they were kind of anti, like made me want it even more because such is life when you're 22 or 21, right? Right. right. 
Yeah. So that's kind of my, and because I liked school, like I always kind of thrived in academic environments and I wasn't like the always straight A student, but I was like a pretty good grades student my whole life. And so I was like, I know how to be a student. I'm not sure I know how to be an adult, but like, I know how to be a student. (laughs) So I just keep doing that. Yeah. I think that's very common. It's sort of a very easy default for those of, particularly those of us who were sort of in these liberal arts majors. <laughs> totally. It just makes sense. It's like, what else am I going to do with my poli-sci degree? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so did you, did you think you were going to do litigation? And is that sort of what was interesting to you once you actually got to law school? I always thought, and I have no idea why, but I was like, I'm probably going to be a tax lawyer. Like that just seemed yeah. like I felt called to that. Neither of my parents were tax lawyers. My dad was like in the transactional, like big banks and big money space. And my mom did real estate law, her whole practice. So um, I'm not sure what drew me to tax, except that I, um, I liked my tax class. And then I took evidence and I took evidence from Barbara Bergman, who defended um, Timothy McVeigh in the Oklahoma City bombing case. And she was a visiting professor. And still to this day, I'm like, she changed my life. Um, There was such a long wait to get in with this other professor who everybody like loved for evidence. And I was like, screw it. I'm taking evidence now. I'll just take the visiting professor. It's fine. And I loved that class. And after taking that class from her and just like, finding so interesting all the exceptions and all the arguments and all the rules and then the other rules and then the non-hearsay rules. And it was just like so fascinating. I was like, I want to be a criminal defense lawyer. And I remember telling my dad as though I was like confessing some like horrible, (laughs) like guilty delight that I like wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer. Um, And he was so thrilled. He's like, that sounds so fascinating and awesome. And actually I ended up uh, clerking for a judge and then, um, going into the state's attorney's office, so the other side of the V right. from the public defender's office, but I interned in the public defender's office that summer, and it just was phenomenal. Everything yeah. I could have wanted. So, yeah, no, I didn't know really what my path was until I took that class. Yeah, evidence yeah. is fun. I feel like that's what you think you're going to do when you go to you know. That's like you know, lawyer in your brain, kind of you totally. know, what you imagine a lawyer does. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, this is why they make TV shows about this job. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Totally. So then you worked at the state's attorney. So you were, you know, in the litigation space, public, you know, prosecution, I take it. Yep. I was a prosecutor. Um, I live just outside DC in Arlington, Virginia, but I was um, in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is like the other side of the beltway of DC. Um, I grew up in DC. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. I love it here. It's not where I grew up, but I feel like it's home now. Um, But I started in Montgomery County, Maryland. I then moved to Baltimore City and worked in sex offense and domestic violence cases there, which was everything you would think, like just a massive caseload and constant action and energy. And it was just, um, it was really thrilling. It sounds crazy to say, like, I loved talking about really violent sex offenses every day, but I did. Yeah. Um, I felt called to do that work. And so, yeah, I was mostly in the litigation world. I did some personal injury after that. Um, So yeah, litigation was mainly my practice area. I would say broadly, the people who seem to me to sort of most commonly enjoy being a lawyer are doing, you know, like, some sort of, you know, public prosecution or, or 
public defense. Like that kind of work seems to draw people who, who really enjoy doing it as opposed to maybe big law, which draws people who, you know, feel like they should make that much money sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely was not in uh, public interest for the money. That's for sure. <laughs> right. um, but I did love what I was doing. So you mentioned that you then got into um, sort of some sort of private practice. What was your evolution there? Yeah. So I went into um, private practice with a, I guess you would call it a mid-sized firm, um, just a local firm here outside um, DC in Rockville, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked for them for about three, three-ish years. Um, and that was really like, I, I left the state's attorney's office because in Maryland, it's an elected position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have my thoughts about whether that's appropriate or not, but um, yeah. <laughs> it ended up that my boss, who I felt really, really loyal and connected to, lost the election. And so it was, and a bunch of us left the office after that happened. Um, and I, I went and did personal injury, which um, back to the college majors, um, speaking Spanish came in very handy there because... Yeah a huge part of my client base were mostly Spanish speaking individuals that had been involved in auto accidents. And I loved personal injury. Actually, I was surprised by how much I liked it because I really, after spending so much time in like really heavy facts and really, you know, um, emotionally charged, painful cases at times, um, to dial back the emotion and sort of make it just about, and when I say just, I more mean like simply, not that it's insignificant, but like simply about numbers and sort of making it like a numbers game. And of course my clients were injured and in pain, but to me, it felt like such a fun game to just like try and get the most money out of the insurance companies. (laughs) um, I really enjoyed that actually. I thought it was a fun change of pace in terms of, um, in terms of what to do with the litigation experience. So yeah. I, I love PI. And then um, from there, as you can sense, I kind of bounced around a bit because I think my true love was uh, prosecution, but I was sort of trying to recalibrate after leaving that office. Um, yeah. I ended my legal career, if you will, in uh, the Board of Elections in D.C., where I was sort of a hybrid position between like general, uh, the general counsel's office um, attorney advisor, I think was the name of my role, but then I was also their public affairs person. Hmm. Um, and I actually think it, it does make sense for the public affairs person to have a background in legal and understand the legal implications of what is said as the public affairs person, especially in elections. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I sort of, when I think like when I took that role, I moved away from, obviously it's a conflict of interest, right. To be in the attorney's office and also be public affairs, but it was good to have that background. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, when you did that, what was your thought process? Were you thinking this, I am purposely taking this step away from, from practice and I'm done with it? Or did you think of it as maybe like a, you know, a way station until getting back into prosecution. What was, cause it sounds like you enjoyed practicing law, but more so than a lot of people. Yeah, I did enjoy practicing law and I actually didn't leave the practice of law for um, the reason of not liking it. It was yeah. more like I felt so drawn to something else that um, I ended up, you know, leaving ultimately completely and, and starting my own business as a life coach. Yeah. But um, but when I was sort of like shifting out of straight legal practice into that public affairs role, it was sort of like to, um, you know, I think there's a lot of psychology involved in leaving 
legal practice of law. It's like yeah. very serious, yeah. a very serious <laughs> decision, right? And I think the higher ups in the field will scare you a little bit. Like, well, if you leave, it's like really hard to come back. And um, I think I wanted to test my nervous system on whether or not I could tolerate that fear, right? Like yeah. I was like, can I... I had heard so much of my life, like, oh, well, you don't have experience doing this. So, you know, you're not going to get a job because you don't have experience doing this. And I was like, well, I'm just going to apply and see. And like, sometimes I wouldn't hear anything, but sometimes yeah. I'd get the job. And so I just kind of felt like all the, all the tales that you'd hear over the course of your practice weren't always true. Yeah. And I was really interested in just testing the theories, I guess. So when I stepped away from legal practice, it was more like, I just think I could go back to it if I wanted to. And I still think that even yeah. working as a life coach and sharing my entire personal life on the internet, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. where there's a law firm that would hire me if I really wanted to. And I'm not worried about it. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. Cause I think that I see that so often is, you know, both how we're trained and just kind of the culture of being a lawyer, there is this very ingrained message that, um, look, you, you, the, the world of things that you can do is very small. And if you jump ship completely, like that is it. (laughs) And that's just not true. I've talked to so many people who've come in and out of, of law at different times and different seasons of their life. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that makes legal practice so unappealing is the idea that it's kind of like these golden handcuffs that you can't ever really take off unless you're ready to like throw them overboard. And it's like, that's just not true. It's just like anything else where you have to find the right people for you. There's so many jobs and so many firms and so many government agencies that are looking for new people with bright ideas and different opinions. And I think it's just totally possible as corny as it sounds, if you believe in it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you had that kind of inclination to, experiment, really just say, Mm -hmm. it's okay if I don't get some of these jobs and then finding out that you do. And I think having that experience, having tested that Mm -hmm. builds so much confidence, (laughs) right? Just you're like, oh, wait, the world maybe doesn't work that very limited way that I've been told. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But you kind of have to test it for yourself and see that like, it's not true or you just get to live in the belief that it's true, but that's, that can be uncomfortable for many of us. Yeah, absolutely. So how did how did your career evolve from there? You sort of, you know, said that you felt pulled towards something, yeah. which I think is a gift. I think a lot of people are like, if only. <laughs> totally. And I, I coach my clients often on like anytime we're feeling um like we're running away from something instead of running towards something, that's like a, a signal to just pause, right? Yeah. Because we don't make the best decisions when we're fleeing. And um, the fact that we need to flee in the first place is like, it's just, it's so need based instead of like desire based. Um, So for me, like it was as organic as it gets. I um, was, I, (laughs) whether I glossed over or just straight up forgot, I um, worked at one point at the title nine office of uh, Johns Hopkins university doing title nine work for students. And it was so fascinating. Yeah. and that was in 2017. And I, um, at that point had just gone through like what felt like my 80th breakup. And I was like, I am just done with like all these breakups and feeling really mystified by it in my personal yeah. life. I felt like 
I had my professional life really well figured out just in terms of like my confidence and believing that like basically anything I was interested in, I could just sort of make it work. Yeah. And then when it came to love and relationships, I found just like completely the opposite. Like no matter how hard I tried to make something work, it just kept blowing up in my face. And so I hired my first life coach after years of being sort of like in and out in very non-committal ways of therapy. Yeah. And feeling like therapy just wasn't, um, it wasn't solving it for me in a way that felt long lasting. And, um, so I was really just on the, on the lookout for something different. And I hired my, uh, friend from summer camp and oh my gosh. <laughs> coach who lives in LA. So I, I still have not yet seen her in person since I first hired her, um, since we were in summer camp together, but, um, yeah, I started working with her in 2017 and it just, it was such a profound change from anything I'd ever experienced before in a mental health space. Um, it was life altering. I used to suffer pretty bad panic attacks and I hid them very well. And, um, and this work was the only work that ever, I mean, medication, like everything else never like prevented the next attack. Right. It always like evolved in the moment maybe, but like was not, getting it from something that could happen anytime to something that I felt like I had control over and coaching was really what did that for me. So a combination of things that changed for me personally led me to get certified as a coach. And I sort of just, I would say like my career was sort of a a following the breadcrumbs every time Mm -hmm. sort of process. And I I got certified as a coach while working full time for the board of elections at this point. Yeah. Um, and not really knowing like what I was going to do with it. But I was like, it can't hurt. Right. Like if I want to just be a lawyer for the rest of my life, but I'm also a certified life coach, I'll have this like elevated ability to communicate with people. And that's always going to serve me. Um, and so then during that time I was sort of coaching and working for the board of elections. And then as the coaching business grew in the 2020 election cycle was, upon us, but COVID had not yet hit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be a crazy year, having no idea what I was actually right, right. <laughs> So I left the board of elections in December of 2019 and um, was full-time entrepreneur at that point with the asterisk that I did help them part-time from home because the June 2019, or I'm sorry, 2020 election cycle was like an insane pivot for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I ended up helping them a bit part-time, but, uh, yeah. So that's kind of, that's yeah. kind of how I ended up as a coach. It wasn't a, a big divine plan, but I was just right. sort of following the next best step. I love that idea. It's, I think we put, I think it's something about the nature of how we become credentialed as lawyers and get into practice that it's this like huge, big thing that you decide from the get go. But this idea that you can just explore the things that naturally interest you and do so on the side without necessarily having some grand plan in place um, is, is so important, right? Because you don't, sometimes you don't know what the thing is that's going to pull you. But if you don't put yourself out there to do anything different, you'll never find something like that. Totally. Totally. It kind of has to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And so how, like, you know, you're like, so I just did this and then I just had clients. Like, what was it like to sort of put yourself out there to get your first clients in this field that I, I, you know, life coaching and practicing law sort of 
are very different mentalities of, mm-hmm. I'm sure people totally. like, were, what, what was people's reaction to that? And what was your, you know, experience in, in starting that business? Yeah, I'm very well intentioned. And people that I still consider friends, uh, lawyers, say to me, like, mm, if you ever want to go back to practicing law, you might want to tone down this whole life coaching thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like I was life coaching about like, you know, BDSM culture. I mean, right. nothing wrong with coaching on that. But like, I was just talking about love and relationships, right? Which is where my, like, that's the pain point that brought me to coaching as a client. And it's what inspired me so much in my own practice and business. And so, um, you know, it wasn't like talking about these, like, not that I think anything is like highly controversial in this day and age, but I wasn't yeah. talking about these highly controversial issues. I was just speaking about love and relationships, which I think everybody cares about. Most of us want to be in a long-term romantic partnership. And so it's like this thing, right. That in legal practice, I remember sort of being, I don't know, cultured and, and even told outright, like, that's not your priority. Work is your priority. Right. Right. And so, um, I think that that played out in like my early days of posting, um, not where I was currently working at the time, I should say, I was working at the board of elections and everyone I worked with there was so incredibly kind and supportive and just loved reading my stuff on, on social media. But, um, but prior areas of practice that I'd been in were like, oh, are you sure you want to like fall out there? Because like the internet's forever. And um, and I just felt like, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but like I'd rather do it than always wonder like what might have been if I yeah. had just done the thing. Yeah. And um, and so again, it was like I did it sort of remembering back to like people being like, You're not gonna get that job because you don't have any experience. And then it's like I got a job, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, maybe like some people won't like that this is like out there on the internet, but like other people might be fine with it. And I'm going to trust that because I'd rather, like I said, do the thing and wonder what it would have felt like to do the thing and never do it. Yeah. Uh, but it is uncomfortable. Like I won't sit here and be like, it was so easy. Like right. I lost it was like totally intimidating sometimes yeah yeah. worth it to just hear people be like oh my god you're reading my mind like you're literally saying out loud what's been happening in my brain and it's like yeah it's so interesting because I you know I think in a lot of legal environments you know you you as a person your individuality is just not not valued (laughs) and in fact sort of it's devalued in the sense that there's kind of a a very stringent way that we you know work what is considered quote-unquote professional um the idea that sort of trying to find happiness in a relationship is incompatible with being a professionally competent lawyer so ridiculous when you say it like that right but there is this I found it very stifling. And, and, you know, I think when people think about what, you know, what is it that's making you unhappy in, in practice, if that's where you are, mm-hmm. um, you know, some, for some people it's the work and some people it's the environment, maybe it's the long hours. And maybe it's also, I just found it that I, I was not able to sort of freely express myself in a way that was important to me. Yeah. And like, I just remember, um, you know, trying to come up with justifications, right. For like leaving work on time to like go on a date. And it was like, 
I wanted to like keep that quiet. I wanted to like keep that a secret and like not, they couldn't know because if they knew, they would think that I was like blowing off my job because like, how dare I go on a date when I could be sitting at my desk working until 9 p.m.? And it's like the idea that that was even a part of my programming instead of like a law firm environment or like a government practice environment. Cause I mean, they're long hours in both places. Um, encouraging a healthy, robust personal life. Right. And it's like, because you show up as a better employee, of course, but also like, why don't employers want their employees to just be happier to like, just have the well-rounded full lives that aren't always about being tethered to your phone and your desk and your clients and your files. Right. Like, we are not like we are multidimensional humans. We're not like one dimensional. Like I just want to live, eat, breathe and function in, in my attorney role and nothing else. Right. Exactly. And I think, I think it's one of those things that when you realize that when you sort of have pushed yourself into a place where you're, you know, you're in a job that is accepting of that, or you've started your own business, you're like, yeah, obviously. (laughs) But then it's, it's, there is this bubble of thinking in so many legal environments that, that you just, it's hard to break out of thinking like that and imagining, oh, there's a different way of, oh, there's a place I can actually, you know, be my multidimensional self. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Totally. And I think part of it, like I have coached um, lawyers who, um, you know, largely feel like what they want in their personal lives isn't available or they're putting more pressure on it because of the time constraints of what their job takes up. Right. And so it's like every date is like, are you worth the like four free hours that I have a week? (laughs) Right. Right. A tough place to date from really. It's like, how open can you be if you're like, prove your worth, prove it, prove it, prove it. Right. Yeah. Not exactly (laughs) the best space to be in, but like I've coached clients who are like, well, I mean, the, like the culture of our office is like leave at eight or nine p.m. Right, and so like if I if I don't fall in line with that, like they're gonna fire me. So I might as well just like find a different job. And it's like okay, totally, like find a yeah. different job if you want a better like culture of the office and workplace environment. But like before you do that, maybe just try leaving at five and see what right. happens. There's right. so much of like you don't even trust the environment enough to be like, I'm going to just show up as myself, right? Because we're scared of what will happen if we do. Yeah. And like, before we even like, we decide we can't because that is the very real culture, but we like, don't even want to be willing to like experiment with just doing it. And like, let's see, let's see what the answer is, what the response is, how it's received. Yeah. It happens, but, but rarely is it like, you left at five, you're fired, get out. Right. It's like, you do it over a period of time and eventually there's like, Hey, can we talk to you about this? Right. And there's like right, a right. conversation and like a, just FYI, this is going to be a problem if you keep doing this and then you get to make your decision. Right. I think that's so true. I, um, you know, I think I talk about this a lot because so many people will say, I just, I don't have time to date or to think about what my next job would be or whatever it is that you would like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I say, okay, well, you know, set a boundary at work, say that you, yeah, like leave at five or whatever it is. And just the, this initial resistance to that is just not possible. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, it is, it's not to say it's not going to be comfortable. And it's not even to say that you might get negative feedback. You might, I guess, right? But then that's a piece, that's a real piece of data that yeah. is that where you want to be? <laughs> then? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like, we're, we're afraid of the data in the long term, because we're afraid of like, if we get data that's not positive, we're going to make it mean something terrible about ourselves, right? That's yeah. not really scared of it. Right. Because if they don't like it, then like, do we have to not like ourselves? Right, right. But if we can decide that like we get to like ourselves whether they like us or not, which is a much tougher decision to make than it sounds, right? Like right. you can say, like, I'm gonna like myself no matter what they say, but like to really embody that and encompass that is complicated for us right. as humans. So it's like that decision that like I'm not gonna be a jerk to myself, even if they don't like what I'm doing. That commitment yeah. like empowers us to show up and be like, I'm gonna just see how this goes. Yeah. And often it goes better. Like my experience was like, for example, with taking vacation, there were people who just like did not take vacation. Mm -hmm. I took all of my vacation. No one ever said anything, (laughs) you know, like I had four weeks, people like, Oh, Megan, she's off. You God knows where this time. And it's like, yeah, that they just knew that about me. Um, (laughs) I just sort of set that, that boundary and that expectation and, and it was not a problem. Yeah. At least where I worked, you know, that, that wasn't ultimately the thing. Um, that that was like the problem for me. Although yeah. I laugh because the only person I dated in the four years that I worked at the firm was another associate at my firm. Totally. I think that happens so much. <laughs> I mean, it was my story in uh, two states attorney's offices and the law firm that I worked. I dated people that I worked with. And it wasn't because like, I don't know, it wasn't for any reason really other than like, I just had no life outside of my job. Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. It was like I socialized <laughs> with the people I worked with and I like did everything with them. And so of course, like that's your, that's who you gravitate towards. It makes sense. And they understand, right? They yeah. understand when you're like on your Blackberry at 2am, Blackberry, who's had a Blackberry? On the <laughs> I don't know. But that was very much, yes, it was definitely a Blackberry for me at that era as well. <laughs> it is the same. I'm thinking about like 2008 and like, obviously there's a specific story where I got in trouble for being on my Blackberry at midnight, but like, yeah, yeah it's just, they understand the life, right? They get right. like, you're, you feel constantly tethered. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, you know, and it's sort of weeding out what, what is it about inherently about this job that can't be adjusted? And, you know, what else, if it can't be adjusted, what do you want? And how are you going to make that happen? I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so sort of what, how has your, your coaching business grown into and sort of who do you typically work with? Yeah. So most of my clients actually are lawyers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think part of that is that, you know, my coaching business has um, like my career been this like living, breathing, evolving thing. Um, So when I first started coaching, I was coaching female attorneys in, um, I shouldn't say female, people who identify as women in whatever form, right. Um, in their romantic relationships and, um, the, and who are in the legal world and feeling sort of like, I call it lawyer brain, feeling very like seeing all sides of everything, not knowing if like they're right or their partner's right, or like if they're entitled to how they feel or like not trusting the other person is saying what's true for them because, one's word means very little in legal practice. <laughs> so yeah, just like yeah. All of the things that make us really good lawyers can sometimes make us really challenging partners. 
Um, and that was certainly true for me. And so that's kind of like how my practice started. It then evolved into just like a general practice where I now coach all genders. I have a couple of male clients and, um, and I don't only coach lawyers anymore. Um, I, I mostly coach individuals on um, establishing themselves and really feeling grounded in who they are as individuals. Um, my podcast is called Be Happy Single. Mm-hmm. And it's never intended to be like the best way to live your life is totally alone. That's not what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. more just like, find your footing as as to who you are, what you like, what works for you and what doesn't. And be that loudly in the world and let the people that aren't on board, like fall away. There should be more no's than yeses in dating. Like that's how it should feel and work. And, um, and it keeps you grounded if you're in a loving relationship too, right? Because it's like, when you're good with you, you need so much less from your partner and you just like free to want and enjoy what they bring to the table instead of feeling like you need them for like, validation for acceptance for understanding it's like there may be elements of that that we desire in our partners but we don't need it so it doesn't become this like codependent thing it's much more of like here's what I bring to the table here's how I take care of myself that's what I coach my clients on is like getting really grounded in their own sort of self-concept and self-care so we can cultivate the best relationships possible and actually spend the time to find they're looking for because so much of my story was like it's totally wrong to be single I should have a partner and like like square that part of my life away because I don't have any time to focus on it because like it's frowned upon as a lawyer so yeah yeah hurry up and find a person to like solve the problem with me being single and answer all the questions about like how it's possible that I'm still not married and then um and then I can like be really focused on my career but the problem with that is it it puts us in relationships that don't necessarily work for us. And we spend a lot of time in our brains at work and everywhere like yeah. fighting with ourselves internally. So um, that was a long yeah. answer to the question. That's, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so interesting. Also, I think, you know, do you, f- I mean, obviously the people you work with are coming to you for, you know, this advice and this kind of, you know, going to a life coach it strikes me that there has been an evolution in sort of the mindset of lawyers to think, you know, to even allow themselves to, to explore that as an option, because I would think that there are a lot of people with resistance to that kind of, that kind of support in a way, you know, to be like, what, I'm going to go to a life coach, you know, Yeah. Uh, it, but I, I think of when I was practicing years, you know, whatever, 12, 13 years ago, I, I wouldn't have even heard of this as an option. But now I just think it's more, uh, un- people understand that it's an option more and people are leaning on different supports that didn't really exist as much a decade ago. Yeah. Like what's your experience with people's open-mindedness to this kind of work? Totally. I think it depends on, um, you know, where you live, partially mm-hmm. the kind of network that you have, um, what you're brought up in, in terms of an environment of like seeking mental health support and mental health care. I do consider myself like a mental health provider. That's like one of the many categories I selected on my LinkedIn page. Yeah. yeah. But um, in a way it's like coaching opens up the space for like, you don't have to feel like something's wrong with you. Like you have to have a diagnosis in order to justify getting help. That like we're allowed to get help just because it feels better to have help than not have help. 
Yeah. Like that's something that's, um, you know, people often ask like, well, is coaching covered by health insurance? And it's not. Yeah. Part of that is that it's a non-regulated industry. And so that's why health insurance companies won't, you know, coaching as a, a mental health service, the way they do psychotherapy or even a licensed social worker, like it's yeah. just a different um, standard. But I think that actually really serves people best because it's like nothing, nothing about coaching is necessary. It's just not you yeah. can live your life without a life coach and be absolutely fine. Whereas like if you have a DSM diagnosis and you need medical management in terms right. of like medication or you need psychotherapy, like you need that, right? Like you need that to function, to get yourself yeah. from not functioning to functioning. But coaching isn't that. And and it, don't get me wrong, coaching changed my life and it helped me with like very yeah. serious anxiety and, and panic. But like from a place of not needing it, a place of just like wanting, I wanted someone to talk to once a week to just listen and, and to just focus on me. I mean, think about the conversations that we have with the people closest to us in our lives where we're like, I'm so sorry to like, burden you with this. I just need your advice, right? A coach is like one hour of just listening to you and talking about you. Yeah. 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 But it's like, it feels so good. And to have somebody trained in a specific method of like, not just, um, we call it like getting in the pool where your friends will be like, you're right. He is a jerk. It's like, yeah, that feels helpful. But then like you walk away from the conversation and it, it's like, it's not because you're just sort of like in this headspace where like jerks do jerky things to you. Right. Right. <laughs> you have no control over it. And so a coach will sort of put you back in your agency and power and be like, okay, well, how do you want your life to look so that this kind of thing doesn't keep happening to you, right? So that you don't feel anything just happens to you so that you feel like you control your experiences. And um, so I think the openness to something that isn't medically necessary, but just exists for us to feel better. It's like such an eye-opening thing that I do think it's becoming more normalized and more mainstream. And I'm so happy to see that because it's like, why shouldn't people make a, a time and money investment in just feeling better? It's like all yeah. we have in this life, right? It's so yeah, weird. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just happy to see, you know, so many different versions. You know, I just think you don't have to sw- sort of swirl in in your overwhelm or your discontent, right? Like asking for help is okay. And I I think a lot of people, but particularly lawyer minded people have a hard time doing that. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. They think they are the ones that should be the problem solvers. Yes. And it's like, even as a coach, I have coaches because yes, (laughs) distance from your own brain to be like, Oh, that's what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lawyers, I think they think they know everybody's brain and they do. <laughs> like they know their client's brain, they know opposing yeah. counsel's brain, they know the judge's brain, right? Right. But like sometimes they need someone else to step in and tell them what's going on in theirs. Right. Yeah. Right. It's this idea that, like, well, I'm a trained problem solver. Like I right. should be able to solve my problems. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But we all benefit from the distance of like someone yeah. else's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So sort of from the flip side of this, that's sort of like going to a, a life coach, but your experience for like, say there's someone out there who's like, actually, like now that you're talking about it, that sounds like something I would love to do. You know, what is your recommendation, you know, about 
potentially exploring that option at professionally? And also, did you experience any imposter syndrome-y uh, stuff around, you know, sort of putting your stake in the ground and saying, I am a life coach and I believe that I have enough to offer to, to charge for it, basically? Yeah. yeah. I would say, um, you know, when I first thought about wanting to become a life coach, I was like, I'm sure everyone wants this. <laughs> and like, <laughs> what I realized is like, a lot of people really don't want to be a life coach. Yeah, <laughs> but like, yeah. It was appealing to me and it appeals to the groups of people that I am now in. Um, and, and we have that in common, but like, there are lots of people that don't want to be a life coach. So if you yeah. are called to be a life coach, if you feel like, I love just like sitting down with people, people. And that is the lawyer part of this, right? It's yeah. like, I, lo- I always loved sitting with people I mean, rape victims and like hearing their story and hearing yeah. what they experienced and hearing their pain and meeting them at their pain and being like, how can we fix this? Like, or not fix it, but how can we um, put you back in, in some of your power? How can we like shift your perspective on this so that it doesn't yeah. feel as painful, as uncomfortable, as traumatizing, right? Yeah. So that part of me that just like loved sitting with people and talking through and problem solving with them, like I'm not surprised that I was drawn to coaching because that was such a big part of what I loved about legal practice. Yeah. Um, so the short answer is like, if you feel like you want to do it, that's enough to go on. <laughs> like, yeah. They yeah. were so like conditioned to be like, well, I want this, but like, surely there's some reason why I shouldn't have it or couldn't get it. Right. And yeah. It's like, yeah. What if you just leaned into like wanting it? Right. Yeah. And then there's always the like, okay, you want this. There's a reason you don't have it. And usually it's because there's some fear, right? There's like, yeah. what if it doesn't work? What if I lose everything? Like for me, it's all, it always was like, what if I'm like, living in a tent under a bridge like what if right. it comes to that right that's like your right. scenario disaster yeah just like doom and gloom and living under a bridge and so yeah. like yeah there's definitely scary moments in entrepreneurship where you're like this is it this is, it's gonna end here or I'm never I mean for me like I would say if you're interested in coaching or any entrepreneurial endeavor unless you have lots of separate independent capital to work with or you're yeah. in a you know family situation where nobody's relying on your income. Right. But like, for me, I was a single person doing this by myself. Um, I worked and I coached until I felt like my coaching business was not responsible for my income. And and of course now it is. And so I manage my mind around that. But like, when I was getting started, I always had an alternate income source so that I felt like I wasn't requiring my baby to support me, you know? Right, right. Um, so yeah. I think that's really important too, is like plan for it to be a double employment situation for the first couple of months or years while you're doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you'll know if you're passionate about it, if you're willing to do that, right? If you're willing to like put extra time outside of your workday into your coaching practice. Right, um, right. If, you, if you're willing to do that, it's a great time. Bodes well <laughs> for your yeah, desire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and the last thing I would say on the imposter syndrome question is like, of course, because I think yeah. most women suffer some version of imposter syndrome. And especially like if you're a coach, you've struggled with insecurity, you've struggled with confidence and building your own confidence in yourself. So of course, that's going to come up. At some point, I decided that like my experience of 12 years of practicing law um, 
like that was highly transferable to my coaching practice, right? It made me like more valuable as a coach, not like, oh, I only have, like I've now been in business for two years this June. It's like, I don't think of myself as only having two years of coaching experience. I'm like, yeah, I've been coaching yeah. since I had first started as a prosecutor, right? Yeah. And yeah. so um, I, I think I've expanded my understanding of like what really trains you to be a coach. And particularly if you are a lawyer, I would consider that like in, in most coaching situations, you have some experience already. You just don't know it. Yeah. Um, so trusting that and trusting more than anything, like your desire to do it is, is what rules the day. It's what matters. So if yeah. you want it, that's a good enough reason. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Rachel. So where can people find you? Yeah. So if people want to work with me, I'm on LinkedIn most in my uh, social media musings, although I'm also pretty um, active on Instagram as well. You can search for Rachel Cole, my last name is spelled C-O-L-L, on LinkedIn. I'm Rachel Elizabeth Cole on Instagram. Or you can check out my coaching site, which is rachelcolecoaching.com. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat with me. Of course. This is such a lovely conversation. I loved like, yeah. traveling down memory lane of my <laughs> I know. I feel like a lot of people are like, I haven't thought about some of this stuff in years. <laughs> it's like, amazing how much time has gone by and yet I haven't aged today. <laughs> I know. Well, it's also a good message of like, you know, people feeling like, oh, I can't imagine getting, you know, to the other side of this hump of trying to think that, you know, changed my life. And then when you look back and you go, oh, yeah, I really have changed a lot. And (laughs) it is possible. It is possible. (laughs) Just like follow the breadcrumbs, trust yourself and know that like what you want to do is is what matters. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again, Rachel. Of course. Thank you.